is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, September 11th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor and Sarah are back in Connecticut. I'm Buster only in San Francisco right after the Giants completed a sweep of the Rockies on Sunday Night Baseball. We got another late night taping, Taylor. Yeah, Buster, I dig it. I, I like this this West Coast situation we got going. We're going to have Bookshan be on. I think he's less thrilled about it, but, you know, we'll press on. Sarah, <laughs> you know, Sarah Lang's really excited she about loves it, it. Yeah, she brings the yeah. heat on this episode, so we got a good one. Yeah, because she's a night owl for sure. Uh, and, and Sarah, by doing this, we don't have baggage claim Mondays, which are fun, and then they're also technically, they can be a little bit challenging. Yeah, we don't have baggage claim Mondays, but we do have late night Sundays or very, very early Mondays. However, you're choosing to look at it. Right, right. As we tape this, I forgot you guys are like after midnight now. So I appreciate you staying up. Pod after dark, baby. Love it. There we Mm -hmm. go. All right. I mentioned the Giants. They had a great weekend against Colorado Rockies. In the bottom of the third inning, they absolutely went off. To a pitch. Estrada swings and a fly ball out toward left center field. Jones going back to the track, at the wall, it's gone, a home run over the 399 sign. And Tyro Estrada has tied the game. Tied at 3-3, and Hanniger crushes one, back in left field, gone, a home run for Mitch Hanniger. Straight away left, into the bleachers, and the Giants take the lead. 5-3 San Francisco. It was Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio with those calls. The Giants went on to win 6-3. to three. Uh, They are in the National League playoff race. So are the Milwaukee Brewers, who played the Yankees on Sunday. And Corbin Burns was on a roll against the Yankees. 3-2 pitch. Got him looking. Cutter on the outside corner. Cabrera is out. Corbin Burns with eight no-hit innings at Yankee Stadium. That from 620 WTMJ, and you know what? That no-hitter would continue through the ninth inning. In the tenth inning, this is what happened. Stand and judge, still on the bags. Volpe in the air, right center field, hit well. And this is going to be caught! Oh, my goodness! Sal Freelich makes an unbelievable catch! That's the catch of the year. No question. Joey Weaver paid the price. Uribe survives. Ten no-hit innings for the Brewer pitchers. Ryan Anderson with that call. That was the catch of your Taylor, yes? I mean, that, that was Gotta unbelievable. Be. Gotta be. He take, took out one of his own guys, too. I mean, it was like pinball machine out there. Yeah, it, it was a great, uh, a great play to keep that no-hitter intact. Well, in the 11th inning, the no-hitter came to an end in ignominious fashion. Pitch drilled down the right field line. It is a base hit. One hop to the wall. Volpe scores to tie it. The throw to second, not a dime. Oswaldo Cabrera has the Yankees' first hit of the day. A line drive double down the right field line to tie the game. That from John Sterling on WFAN. The Brewers would take a 3-1 lead in the 12th inning. But in the bottom of the 12th, Giancarlo Stanton came to the plate with a runner on base. He'll deal 1-2 to Stanton. A high fly to center. 
Way back goes Weimer on the track. At the wall, she is gone to tie the game. A Stantonian blast. A wacky game that carried into the bottom of the 13th inning. Pitch. Swung on and drilled to deep left field, and that ball is over the head of Taylor. Rounding third, coming home to score is Pereira. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Yeah, John Sterling reflecting the joy of a lot of Yankee fans. They weren't no hit. They win the game. There's a press conference right after the game where Aaron Boone does his press availability, and the air went out of the room when he made an announcement about Jason Dominguez. He's got a torn UCL. It's obviously, you know, tough, tough news to have. Had some soreness Sunday, he said, in uh, Houston, the last game. You know, I don't think thought that much of it. Started getting treatment on Wednesday, but still wasn't anything impacting him, really. And then today, when he was, you know, doing his BP in a routine and he was swinging, it was, it was, he couldn't, he couldn't pop the ball or, or really hit, hit it hard. So we brought him up and, and he went and got testing during the game and it's, he's got a torn UCL. And as Booney acknowledged, reporters, usually for a position player, the absence after having UCL surgery to correct a, a torn UCL is about nine to ten months. So this injury will likely carry over into the 2024 season for the Yankees. We'll be talking about that with Boog Shami coming up. And we'll also be talking to him about the weekend series between the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, two more National League uh, playoff contenders. Cody Bellinger hit a home run in the third inning on Sunday. Deep down to right. This ball back to the wall. It's got a chance. Gone. Cody Bellinger with a home run. Cubs lead three to nothing. Pat Hughes with that call on the Cubs television network. They win five to two, but it was a good weekend for the Diamondbacks in Chicago, and I'll be talking with Boog about that. The Marlins, the Phillies, two more wild card contenders. Kyle Schwarber has turned September into what he usually does in June. And there's a <laughs> way back, and that one is off the face into the second deck. Life brand. I don't know if I've ever seen a hitter this hot in terms of home run. You would think it's the month of June for Schwarber because he's had such great Junes, but he has had an explosive end of August and uh, early September. Wow. Yeah, I swear. I did not hear that call before I made the same comment. Tail, you back me up on that? Back you up, dude. Yeah, unless you hit play and I don't know about it, but I don't I don't <laughs> think you did. That's not your M.O. <laughs> All right. But in this game, the Marlins have come back. 2-2. Two, two. Here's a swing and a drive. This is hit fairly deep center field. Marsh is going back. Warning track wall. See you later. A go-ahead two-run bomb for Brian De La Cruz. Top of the eighth inning. The Marlins come all the way back. They lead it 5-3. to three. That from 940 WINZ. So the Marlins win the game. And at the end of the weekend in the National League Central, the Brewers are four games ahead of the Cubs in the loss column, three games ahead overall with just a few weeks to play. But the Cubs are in good position in the wild card. As of today, the Phillies, Cubs, and Diamondbacks would be the three National League wild card teams with the Marlins a half game back, the Giants and Reds just a game and a half back. The Astros and the Padres and Jose Altuve keep showing off his power. 
Here's the pitch. And this one's belted deep to left field, Altuve. He goes deep. The Astros lead 3-0 on his 16th jack of the year. He carries a big stick. Steve Sparks, KBME, 790 AM. The Astros win 12-2. The Rangers have finally started to get some traction. They've struggled so badly of late. They got a lot of help from Marcus Simeon on Sunday. Rangers up now 7-4, and here's Marcus Simeon lifting one high and deep into left. Kemp going back and looking up, and it's gone. For Marcus Simeon, his second home run of the ball game, his 24th of the year. Rangers lead it now 8-4. Final score there was 9-4, as I mentioned that from 105.3, the fan. The Braves did something that no other team has done this year. On Sunday, they were facing the Pirates. Ronald Acuna Jr. gave them a lead in the seventh. Line to center. Sawetsky back. Over his head. Harris coming home. And Atlanta has the lead. And Ronald scampers back to first. Look how fired up he is. You're going to miss down the middle with him, the way he can drive it. Look, that thing went, hit the wall, and that went even 15 feet off the ground. They carried that 5-2 lead into the ninth inning, and this is what it sounded like when the game ended. And he'll pop one up. This ought to do it. Austin Riley calling them all off. He's under it next to the bag. Braves win. They take the series versus Pittsburgh, and it lasts. Atlanta now 93-49 and 49 on the season after this comeback victory over Pittsburgh. And the Braves become the first team in Major League Baseball to clinch a playoff spot in 2023. The team that's probably going to be second to do that in the National League face the Nationals over the weekend. James Outman uh, added on to the Dodger lead in the top of the second. And Altman swings, it's a drive deep to right field. Way back and gone. Home run number 19 for James Altman. And the Dodgers lead it 3 to nothing. And from Tim Neverett, AM 570 LA Sports. The Dodgers win on Sunday, as I mentioned. But they got bad news over the weekend. Walker Bueller becomes another pitcher. Will not be available to them in the postseason. Uh, he's still recovering from his second Tommy John surgery. They had hoped that he would be able to come back and pitch in like a two-inning role once he got in the playoffs, but that is not going to happen. And I just want to mention this. Uh, USA Today uh, reported, Bob Nightingale reported, that the Angels are open to Mike Trout being traded if he asks out. He has seven years and $248 million left on a 12-year, $430 million deal he signed in 2019 got some thoughts on this, but I'm going to save them for Wednesday's podcast because they're going to make some phone calls and get some more information. Taylor, what else you got? Buster on the case. I love it. Can't wait to hear what you have to say on Wednesday. Good tease. Um, for things to promote the College Game Day podcast, the gang was in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I saw Reese Davis actually went to the game. He watched his, uh, well, he, he wouldn't say his because, you know, he's a professional journalist, but watched the Crimson Tide lose to Texas in Tuscaloosa, like I said, and then we're going to have Fozzie Whitaker, uh, I wouldn't say Texas legend, but notable former Longhorn on the show to talk about if Texas is really, really actually back this time. So the College Game Day podcast, check it out where you're listening to the show right now and on YouTube. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. 
Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals in the hottest tickets. Experience it live. The man. Swing and a high fly ball out towards left field. The voice. That one well struck. The legend. On its way. Out of here. Bugciambi on baseball tonight. And this place is going Ukshabi, the legend, sitting in. Is that uh, that open was played? I could see the smile emerging on your face, Boog. Welcome to doing the show, and thank you for doing the show. Yeah, this is, we're taping this right after our, our Sunday night game. You're yeah. working here. You're working in Chicago yesterday. You're going to be working someplace else tomorrow. You're a busy man these days. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I definitely, you know, the Cubs has been a blast this year, especially it's kind of the arc of the story. But I also I still love getting to do the national games and check in and getting a chance, a peek at how other teams look and sort of getting these sneak preview scouting reports on different teams. So tonight was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, we're going to play a little bit later on. Uh, David Cohn, some of his work that he did in the bullpen, which was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you get a lot of personalities from those guys. Uh, yeah, and I felt like the Giants uh, walked away from – you know, the weekend basically feeling like, you know, they're, they're, they're putting their pieces together. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but at least they're going to give it a decent run here with the guys that they counted on uh, when, they, when they sort of mapped out this team. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, I think the, the story in the National League is the Braves and the Dodgers. I think the Phillies are the next team. And then there's not a huge distinction between – the next group. It's kind of, you know, check with me every five or six days. I mean, I even think you could make the case that in a, you know, in a short series, it really is Braves, Dodgers, and then everybody else that's in the the mix. Um, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're really within sort of the margins of each other. So that's kind of the story in the, in the national league. So I, uh, I've enjoyed the way the season has gone because you've, you've seen so many different teams go from you thought the Mariners were done, you thought the Cubs were done, um, you know, the Giants in various points, you know, you didn't think that they were in it, and then you thought they were absolutely in, and now they're on the outside but playing a little better. Certainly the Rockies helped them get well. So tell me about the uh, the Diamondbacks, who I thought had a really, really, you know, great and important series in Wrigley Field in recent days. Yeah. They pitched. I mean, I think it starts with, you know, I, I look at, and I think teams now do as well, but I look at run prevention as 
I think a lot of times what we think is pitching is actually defense and pitching. Um, and I think that one of the things that the Diamondbacks do really well is they pitch okay, but they really defend well. They're probably, say, a top three, top five defense in baseball. I mean, I think right now, if you were doing team defenses, you're talking Blue Jays, Brewers, Diamondbacks, Cubs. I mean, those would be four of the top six, I would say, defensively. Diamondbacks really catch the ball well. They're super athletic. And so in a day and age where the home run is king, man, they get a guy on, they steal second, and then all it is is a single, and they have themselves a run. So uh, they're they're a lot to, to deal with. And, you know, again, Guriel had a really good first half. He was an all-star. Um, they just brought up their top prospect who's 21 named Jordan Lawler and they, yeah, they were impressive coming into Wrigley field and taking three or four. And I tell you what, the guy who jumped out to me and I, you know, learned this being a beat writer and you have had times in your career where you're around the same team every single day, uh, as you are with the Cubs now, um, it, you know, until you watch someone over an extended period of time, you don't really have a feel for him. So it was nice. I watched your broadcasts you know, straight uh, on on Thursday, Friday, then watch the Cubs again on Saturday. Gabriel Moreno, their catcher, he can – man, that guy can play. Like, yeah, yeah. he yeah. is the combination of it feels like a Martin Maldonado and in, in terms of behind the plate and yeah. a little Pudge Rodriguez mixed in because he's got a gun. Uh, there's a presence there to him as a catcher. I, I, I love that guy. Love him. Absolutely love him. No, he's uh... – He's been huge for them. I mean, look, in today's game, you're talking about right now, we're looking at the major league average for stolen bases is an 80% success rate. That would be the highest ever. And he's throwing out over 40% of the runners, which is pretty staggering. And that's not even dealing with blocking, framing, and a young kid handling a pitching staff. And by all accounts, he's done a really good job with that. Yeah, and and because of the the front line guys the Diamondbacks have in their rotation, I'm thinking if they get into the playoffs, probably as the sixth seed, they would have a chance to sort of be the way Princeton used to be in the NCAA tournament. Like they played their game, and you could see them beating a good team in a short series because of those starters. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, Merrill Kelly has had a really good year, and. I don't know that people realize how good Zach Gallen is. I mean, this is a guy yeah. with a career ERA of 320. Um, you know, last year was a Cy Young Award caliber pitcher, obviously, you know, all-star starter this year. I mean, those two guys alone are are really impressive, and they there's no doubt they I mean they dominated the Cubs both both days. So um yeah, they could be a handful in a in a short series. I will say I worry a bit about their bullpen, you know, in the second half. That's been kind of a mess for them. But, um, you know, they just called up this kid, Andrew Salfrank, who put up ridiculous numbers uh, at the minor league level. He's a sinker curveball guy. He gets a ton of ground balls and he gets a ton of strikeouts. Limited exposure at the big league level, but he seems like he's somebody that could that could help. But I do still worry about their pen a bit. So what was your internal reaction when you heard the news about Jason Dominguez today about that he re- he's going to require uh, elbow surgery that could knock him out for almost a year? 
I mean, I it's funny because I think I I have a a same reaction most of the time. You know, when greatness gets sidetracked or potential greatness gets sidetracked, it just kind of makes me sad. I don't think about it through the, you know, or look at it through the prism or lens of like, what's it mean for the Yankees? It's just you're looking at it through the Herb score lens. Yeah. Like, right. Or like, you know, when Otani can't do both, everyone's the worst for it. When Trout can't play, the game's worse for it. So that's my first thing. As far as the Yankees are concerned, it's a big deal just because, I mean, again, you know, he still probably will be able to hit for part of it, but it's it's just more the idea of they need good, cheap, controllable players so that they can do some different things because, you know, roster-wise, they haven't exactly put together um, – They've just missed with the way they've they put the roster together. Yeah, and Jason Dominguez presented everything they need in this moment. A young player, a switch hitter, a power hitter, a guy who can play center field, an athlete, uh, and, and now he's not going to be available to them in all likelihood until sometime you know, next June or so. All right, yeah. this is what uh, the Mariners starter George Kirby said to reporters after losing on Friday night. Give a listen. I didn't execute. He had a good pitch. Um, I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. So I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't, I didn't think I needed to go anymore, but you know, it is what it is. So. Is that a conversation in the dugout, or is it? It'll be a conversation soon. Yeah. So that uh, those words where he said he, he wished he wasn't out there for the seventh inning, as you know, Boo, got a huge response on social media from a lot of former players, uh, among those Jared Weaver, Houston Streak, Mark Mulder, criticizing him, basically saying, look, this is what you are getting the game for. Uh, Kirby obviously heard this, and he had conversations with his manager, Scott Service. This is his apology on Saturday morning. Yeah, I just wanted to address what happened yesterday. Um, obviously, I screwed up, and you know that's not you know that's not me. And you know, Skip's always got to pry that ball out of my hands, and um, just super uncharacteristic of of me as a player, and you know who I am out in that mound, and you know I love competing, and um, you know, like I said I just screwed up, and you know. And, Really looking forward to next week and you know just going going forward and you know enjoying the time with the team and you know getting the playoffs and getting our work done. Yeah, and Boogie, you know and I know that this will be scrutiny that he'll carry with him for you know at least some time into the future. What did you make of all that? I mean, I I get multiple things. I think um he's upset because of the results. So like he's, he wouldn't be upset that he went past 90 pitches if he had gotten all the outs. So, right. and that's, and everybody understands that. So like that, and but so I don't know where, I mean, he's just overreacting cause he's mad and he handled it poorly because he pointed the finger someplace else, um, especially pointing the finger someplace else. And it would appear that he didn't, take a strong stand on he wanted to come out of the game, which um, I would say the other part of it, though, is we can't keep telling these kids that 
you're basically only two and a half times through the order and then not think it's going to sink in a little bit. So we keep sort of brainwashing them that 90 is kind of the limit. And then when it doesn't go well for them after 90, yeah, that. and I'm not saying it's right, but I also will tell you, I think that the way they do it now is the most effective way. Like the biggest thing that the old school guys don't get or a lot of things that, that people don't totally understand is that the guy that was coming in in the fifth and sixth inning after the Red Sox and Yankees in 2004 had knocked out the starter was throwing 87 miles an hour. The guy that comes in in the sixth now is throwing 98. They've weaponized these bullpens. And so, you know, even the other day it happened in the Cubs game where Jameson Tyone absolutely shoved for six innings and David Ross brought in Julian Merriweather. And it's just this simple. And I don't care whether it's Mark Mulder or uh, or Weaver or any of those or guys. Or Cy Young or Roger it Clemens. Comes who also was it comes down yeah. to this. The next time around, if you were to build something and take odds on it, and you had to bet, and I'm serious, you had to bet on it, bet your life on it, who do you think has a better chance to get these guys out them looking at Mark Mulder or Weaver for the third time or Julian Merriweather coming in, throwing a hundred with a slider and a changeup. And the answer is pretty obvious. Like every team has a Julian Merriweather. They have multiple guys like that. So, but with that, that's what's in these guys heads. Now he just handled it poorly, but I, I I'm, it's surprising to me that, People don't understand that like what I'm saying is like, look, the special players will always be special. But if back in the day, um, if back in the day when Tom Seaver pitched, they had Kelvin Herrera, Wade Davis and Greg Holland available to come in. um, That's what they would have done. Yeah, Uh, I, I think you described it perfectly. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, and by the way, George Kirby is ninth in the American League's in innings pitched, 165 and two-thirds. So it's not like he's carrying the load relative to what other pitchers are doing. Look, the error is just completely different. And, yes, I agree with you. He screwed up after the game. Yeah. He shouldn't be kind of pointing a finger at his manager, pitching coach, for not uh, you know because uh, it didn't turn out the way that he wanted to. And so it was good that he came back and apologized. But you and I both know – this is one of those things that the rest of his career, this is going to follow him around a little bit. So I'm kind of hoping he has a moment in the postseason when he absolutely deals in a big spot when he's stretched out a little bit. Seventh, eighth inning, bases loaded, gets out of a gym. I think that'd be pretty cool, you know, for one of the best young pitchers in baseball. Yeah. Uh, all right. David Wells was at the uh, Yankees old timers game on Saturday. It was a reunion of the 1998 Yankees. And, you know, David Wells said a lot of stuff. This was part of that. It always seems that the GM, the managers and all that are are getting fired and getting blamed for it. And it's the players. If you're not doing the job out on the field. You know, and I just, you know, if I was a GM, I would start sending a message, you know, send us on a gun to, to AAA or AA and send them a wake-up call. Say, listen, this is what, they did it to me. You know, they did it to a lot of us back in the day, but you got to send them, I don't care how much money you're making. 
send a message to them and let them go sit down there and think about it. You know, that's what you have to do. But I think now they, they coddle them too much. They don't, uh, they baby them and they don't let them do what they do. It's, it's up to your peers to make you better. And Boomer was getting a lot of questions in part because he, uh, covered a logo on his uniform. He didn't uh, disagree with the politics of the company. He had some other stuff to say along political lines. Uh, And look, I, you know, Boog, I covered uh, David Wells when he was with the Orioles. I covered him when he was with the Yankees. I love him. I've had him on the podcast. I think he's so funny. I think he's a great guy. And if he were a friend and he were to ask me, you know, hey, what did you think about all this? I would have said, not on old timers day, Boog. Because what you did is essentially take a lot of attention away from all those guys that you played with. This was not the venue to have these conversations. What do you think? Yeah, yes. And I just, as a general idea, I struggle with get off my lawn. I I think, you know, it's like our our buddy John Miller has, you know, he, he, he wrote a book called Confessions of a Baseball Purist. And I think that one of the first, I think the opening line is a quote talking about today's players don't play with the proper fundamentals and they're overpaid. And the quotes from Ty Cobb, right? It's been perpetual. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's perpetual right. that people think that like the problem is these guys today need to be sent a message. These we might guys- be hearing from George Kirby in 20 years. What's wrong That's with this right. generation right. of players? That's and right. I, you know, right. I don't mean that specifically. Oh, but. no, no, right. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, but that's, yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. I'm with you. Yeah. So it just, yeah, I just, I struggle with, but I think you're, I, I like your, your point, I think is, is more important in terms of, man, it's, it is a feel good baseball day. Let's, let's leave it be, man. I mean, like, did you see the interaction between Derek Jeter and Willie Adamas? That was awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Willie Adamas was so... Go ahead and describe it. Go ahead and describe it, but what happened? Well, Willie Adamas went out to go introduce himself to Jeter, and Jeter engaged him, and and he... Willie Adamas came back and had a look on his face and was high-fiving guys, like, can you believe I just did that? It was like he went and got the phone number from the most beautiful... No, 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 Boog. I'm going to give you the comparison. You'll totally agree with me. He had the same face that that kid who caught the ball on Sunday yeah, night baseball right. in the left field stands, yeah, right? Right. That's it. That's right. He was he was a kid. He was. I mean, Willie Adamas was like a kid, and he's I think 27. Um, he was like he was like a little kid. He was so excited after the fact. I mean, after he'd finished, he turned and he looked at all all his teammates and he was just so fired up. It was just, you had to see it to, to really get it, but it was magnificent. Yes. That it is. It was joy. It was total joy. All right. Boog. Well, thanks for doing this. I know you're busy. I know you're tired. Uh, you and I were joking about how, uh, you know, maybe this time of year they should just give all announcers two weeks off, right. <laughs> to get ready for the postseason. First world problems, right? It's going to be fun though, bud. There's no <laughs> question about it. I'll see you in Arizona. On Saturday, Dansby Swanson of the Chicago Cubs spoke with Boog Shambi. Doug, thanks very much. We get ready for the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, and we talk with the Cubs shortstop Dansby Swanson. I guess the first thing, right now, you guys would be in the playoffs. What I want to know is what changed? Middle of June, team was 
I don't know, 10 under 500 and you were in San Francisco, how did things get going in the right direction? Uh, just a lot of honest conversations with one another um, from player to player, uh, player to staff, just really kind of helping us understand who we are as a team and what our identity needed to be. Um, and I feel like we've all committed to to that since uh, that moment. And obviously things have been working out well for us. I've talked to you before about the idea of change and that there hasn't been a ton of change in your life. When you're talking about you grew up in Atlanta, you went to Vanderbilt. I mean, you had the trade to the Braves, but you basically were playing at home. And now this is a big adjustment. When did it start to feel like, okay, I'm a Cub? Oh, man, I feel like uh, spring training was challenging. Um, and even first bits of the season uh, were challenging, obviously. Um, having so many good people around helps a lot just because it kind of creates like a, I won't say like a safety blanket, but like uh, just creates some some security, not only in the clubhouse, but obviously um, at home and just, you know, people that you can rely on and, and, and lean into. Uh, that just kind of helped make the transition easier. Um, so uh, it's it's become more real now than it did early. Um, but I, I, I hope that it continues to progress uh, in that fashion. So, um, As far as playing your home games in this place, how do you explain to people that may not know what makes playing at Wrigley Field so special? Uh, it's, it's honestly something you just have to experience for yourself. Uh, it's even when I played here as a, you know, as a visitor, um, it was obviously a really special place and just, it's always such a trip you look forward to doing. Uh, but now calling it home for, you know, 80, 80 plus games. Uh, it's just like, you just have this like feeling of gratefulness every time you run out there. Um, there's just really is something like very magical and they call it the friendly confines, but it just feels so so real and so right uh it feels like what baseball's intended to be like it's a big community event um and every time you drive by it's like you can't believe that there's a you can't believe that there's a stadium right there in the middle of a neighborhood you know and uh but that's what makes it so beautiful and uh like i said yeah just forever grateful um to be able to call it home last thing sneak attack on you i haven't discussed this with you but your manager told me that you walked into his office on september 1st you looked him in the eye and you said hey no more days off until we clinch. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sounds about right. Sounds about like something that, that would come out of my mouth. I'm surprised I didn't say that April 1st. Uh, uh, probably was thinking it then, but didn't voice it until September. Uh, but, you know, he knows how I feel about off days, and um, he knows how I feel about putting our best players out there uh, each and every day uh, to give ourselves the best chance to win. And you know, we obviously got a lot of work to do, uh, and it starts today, so... Good to see you. Thanks for the visit. Appreciate it. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app. To play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group. And leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. 
And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Zero, zero, nine, six. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, we're taping with you uh, right after our Sunday night baseball game on September 10th. Uh, your mom would be very happy because I can hear in the background all the Giants fans streaming out of Oracle Park, having uh, just completed a sweep of the Rockies, the relevant in the National League playoff race. I'm sure your, your mom will sleep well tonight. Well, we've established what kind of sports fan she is. So even with that sweep, even with a 49ers win, she will have her nitpicks. I know she will. We flashed the Giants' upcoming schedule the rest of the way uh, during the broadcast. And obviously, what, seven games against the Dodgers? I'm sure she's already worried about those. But I hope she can find some of the happiness that those fans are finding right now. All right. I want to ask you about Jason Dominguez. We got word earlier today from Aaron Boone that he has a torn UCL and uh, Booney sort of speculated because they don't have specific information yet that that sort of uh, injury leads to a position player being out nine to 10 months. What a body blow for the Yankees, huh? Just so upsetting. And, you know, you think of the entire sequence. I'll talk in a moment about the game they played today, but they look so down now. They end up winning. It's this huge uplifting moment, even though we know they're not making the playoffs, even though, you know, the game itself may not be of huge import. And then post-game immediately, we hear Booney saying that to the reporters. Just so upsetting to see now. I don't know what the exact timeline will end up being. I know that's what he mentioned. We just saw Bryce Harper come back faster than anyone ever had before from Tommy John surgery this season. So we know, and Yankee fans know, um, with Didi Gregorius a couple of years ago, how we can be buried with position players. But just for the sport, very upsetting to see a really bright young star with um on Sunday baseball. A week ago, he hit four home runs in his first seven games. He was playing with that constant smile. So I hope we'll see it back on the field soon. Well, and as we've seen with the Phillies, it's a little complicated when you don't necessarily have the roster that's perfectly suited for a guy coming back from a a Tommy John injury because, I mean, the best case scenario for that player would be to come back as a DH, but they have Giancarlo Stanton. And that, uh, you know, whose best spot is DH. So we'll be seeing next summer, midway through next summer, how the Yankees are going to handle his return. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. So number three is 11. So I don't think even one numbers game number can sum up the wildness that was that game in the Bronx this afternoon, but I will try. So the first part is they started in the delay because it was pouring in the Bronx. They come out, Garrett Cole and Corn Burns trading zeros. Corn Burns has this no-hit bid going. He has a no-hitter, a no-hit bid, three innings. Devin Williams comes in. He gets them out in the ninth inning. 
you think, okay, maybe the no-hitter is over. But it isn't because it's nothing, nothing in this game. The game goes to extras, and then we're all thinking, are the Yankees going to be no-hit and win the game? Which seems extra doable these days with the free runner and extra innings. And, of course, to be an official no-hitter, all that has to happen is that that team throws nine innings. So if, theoretically, the Yankees had won on walk-off with one out, a walk-off, let's say, walk or hit by pitch or what have you, anything other than Mason in the 10th inning, that would have still been a no-hitter had they not gotten a hit. Anyway, keeps going back and forth. We get to the 11th inning, and at that point with one ounce, is when the Yankees finally get a hit. But that is just to tie up the game at 1-1. Then the Bruce takes the lead the next thing. Then Giancarlo Stanton ties up the game with a home run. The Yankees eventually win the game. So that brings us to our 11 number, which is this was the fourth time in big league history that a no-hit bid was broken up in the 11th inning or later. The last time it happened was June 14, 1965. Jim Maloney against the Mets, also broken up in the 11th inning. From wow. that, May 26, 1959. Yep. Of course, I see you nodding your head. The Harvey Haddock scheme, that one broken up in the 13th. And then August 1st, 1906, Harry McIntyre against the Pirates also broken up in the 11th inning. In all of those games, the team that was being no hit ends up winning the game, which kind of makes sense because they're all likely tie games. They pretty much have to be at that point, yeah, unless there's an uh, extra inning situation the way the Yankees had, but you know they're close games. They didn't all end in that inning, but the fact that that team was being no hit for that long and then won the game. It's just really, really cool to me. Yeah, that player uh, who you mentioned, Harvey Haddix, for those who don't know, 12 perfect innings for the Pittsburgh Pirates against the Milwaukee Brewers, or excuse me, Milwaukee Braves, and then he winds up losing the game in the 13th. Number two. Number two and nine. So Trey Turner has been on this unreal stretch lately. Took a brief break from it to go on the paternity list. Congratulations to the family. An adorable new addition to the family. But overall, he has nine home runs in the last 10 games played. He is the fourth Phillies player since 1901 to have at least nine home runs in the 10 game span. <laughs> Listen to the list he joins 2013 Dominic Brown, 2005 Bobby Abreu. 1976, Mike Schmidt. I would have lost a bet saying that Ryan Howard would be on that list, and he isn't. Obviously, Mike Schmidt, even Bobby Abreu makes sense. I would not have remembered that Dominic Brown stress. He's also the second shortstop with at least nine home runs in a 10 game span, joining Troy Tulitsky in 2010. Number one. Number one is 23, and Taylor, this is for you a bit, because the Orioles played one of the craziest games, of course, and the Yankees did what they did today. But on Saturday, 
The Orioles allowed 23 hits to the Red Sox and still won the game. So they were the first team to win a game, allowing at least 23 hits since the Mariners on September 3rd, 1981, in a game that was also at Fenway Park. That was a 20-inning game. Mm-hmm. It was only the fifth time since 1901 that a team won a nine-inning game, allowing at least 23 hits. The other game, 1930, the Cardinals, uh, June 3rd, 1930, June 15th, 1925, the 8th, August 25th, 1922, the Cubs, and June 29th, 1901, the Orioles. But not these Orioles. It was a different Orioles franchise. Because at that point, these Orioles were actually the Browns. So five times since 1901, the team has allowed 23 hits, none in the game, and won the game. And if you want to know the other side of that record, teams are five and 338 in that span when allowing at least 23 hits. Taylor, tell me what you uh, what you, what you think about not only about that uh, that the number from Sarah, but also about where the Orioles are these days. Well, thank you for contextualizing that. I actually didn't watch the game on Saturday night. The, the group chat was blowing up though, like the, <laughs> the, the our pitching sucks, our pitching sucks. Like, yeah, we know. I, I feel okay about the Orioles, Buster. We've talked about this before. Like, I'm I'm just scared of all these playoff teams. Really, the the Mariners, the Astros. I've said to you, Buster, you disagree. I wouldn't be as afraid to face the Rays. Maybe that changes. I think they play them next weekend, that four-game set. But, you know, for the most part, things are going okay. I think, uh, you know, pitching still weakness, but they can they can swing the bat with anyone. So, Oh, my God, me Sarah, listen, listen to Taylor. Do the Orioles not Taylor. have the best record in the American League? I I'm battered, Buster. <laughs> I just voted on my power ranking for this week for MLB.com. They're a consistent number two for me the last few weeks. <laughs> and this is why I love fandom. Everything I said about my mom at the top. And here you are demonstrating that. I understand. I've been a fan. I know there's always stress, but try to enjoy it. Oh, well. I'm enjoying it. Don't I should I should, you Good. know. Yeah, it's it's fun night tonight. And the playoffs will be awesome. I'm very excited for them. So, Sarah, uh, before you go, 9-11 is a day that uh, nobody will ever forget. And I want to ask you about your memories because you are a New Yorker. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, you have a clear uh, you know, memory of what happened that day and how you experienced it. I do. So I was in third grade. It was actually my first full day of school back in like the early grades. We would have a half day to ease in and another half day to use and things like that. And I remember it was the first full day of third grade. And the first kid in my class who went home early was actually sick. So we didn't know that something was wrong right away because that kid. But then more and more kids started getting picked up. And we were asking our teachers, like, hey, what happened? Why are so many kids going home early? And... They wouldn't really tell us anything. They said there was a big accident downtown, but they didn't really specify, of course, not their place. And no one had really experienced this in uh, their lifetimes and what to do in that situation. I remember very distinctly because of where my parents worked, each of them 
relative to the school, I was the only kid not to be picked up early. My, my father picked me up from school, which never happened due to his schedule, and my mom didn't make it home because she worked in the Bronx, and the subways were down, and the bridges were closed, so she didn't make it home till the next morning. And I actually said, I want mommy to tell me what happened. So I may have been the only person in New York of at least a certain age who did not know what had happened until the next day mm. when I woke up on the couch next to my mom. Wow. And uh, even at that age, I, you know, I'm sure your mom, you know, that uh, I mean, I, when that happened, you know, my daughter was a year and a half old and it was years, I think, before she asked me about it. And I remember, you know, at her at seven or eight years old, having really sort of a delicate conversation because it was just so, you know, that day it was just so awful. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Uh, and I will talk to you later in the week. Thanks so much for having me. So as part of our broadcast on Sunday Night Baseball, David Cohn made his way to the two bullpens of those of the Giants and the Rockies during the game, visiting with relievers. His conversation with John Brebbia of the Giants was especially funny. Give a listen. The only photo I see of myself is when I stand really still in the mirror. I've never seen anything else. <laughs> you know, I thought it'd be cool to be like a starter. That didn't work out. I thought it'd be cool to be a closer. That hadn't worked out. Well, these two are identical twins, Yes. which a lot of people look at them and they don't see it, but I see it through and through. <laughs> this isn't a game to us, David. This is all business all the time, all serious. So we'll talk stocks. We'll talk <laughs> agrarian cultures and the rise and fall of empires, but we'll never play games. That's one thing I can promise you. Yeah, if we're, if we're up by two in the ninth, I take a nice deep sigh of relief and I watch Camilla Duvall warm up. Yeah, you get the clean shaven. Yes, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Enjoy your time over in the road, Pen. Yeah, going to go over and see Colorado now. On Sunday, Roxy Bernstein caught up with the Giants' J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis of the Giants joining us. And last couple days, you guys kind of righted the ship after a tough road trip. I got to imagine everybody's feeling a lot better in the clubhouse here today as opposed to maybe a week ago. Yeah, boys are buzzing. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of hits, a lot of big hits. Uh, played solid defense, and our pitching staff has been lights out so far. Um, we've done uh, everything that we're supposed to do uh, against Colorado Rockies, and hopefully today we can get the sweep. Well, J.D., coming over from New York, the Giants, there's a lot of mixing and matching and kind of be ready in all situations. I mean, what's that adjustment been for you and your skill set, just learning how to navigate how quickly change happens in the Giants? Yeah, um, I think one thing, big thing that we try to – uh, keep going is the culture in the clubhouse. Make young guys feel as if they're contributing right uh, right from the get-go. Uh, make them feel as comfortable as they can so they can go out there and they can perform their best. Um, and a lot of times uh, uh, the mix and matching is, I think, just the way baseball is going nowadays. Uh, you know, I think the Tampa Bay Rays set that expectation or set that kind of uh, strategy over the course of these last two years, and a lot of people have started to adopt that. Um, and a lot of it had to do with uh, a lot of people getting hurt as well on the pitching staff and guys getting sent in the bullpen, but then also hitters as well of getting hurt. So back to my point of having rookies come up and contribute. So um, it's been a little bit of an injury bug, uh, what's going on lately. But however, when we did have our full
wonderful uh, staff and guys that were healthy in the first half of the season when we were the second best team. Uh, the interchanging out, uh, it was very much so like water. Like it wasn't much so of a distraction. It wasn't anything. But when injuries can occur, it can be a little bit problematic of moving different pieces, especially guys that you know are trying to break into the big leagues or trying to find a new role or any case by that be. So it's definitely hard. But when this uh, – when I guess this engine or this train has everybody in, in the foxhole, I think we're, we're pretty good and we're pretty dangerous. For you personally, J.D., what's this situation been like for you in terms of why is this Giants clubhouse so good for you? I think it's been a complete 180 um, with, I think there's just stability over here. I know it's kind of contradicting of the moving parts in that sense, but I think the direction of the organization of Farhan, um, the communication with Kapler, uh, the constant coaching of Kai Correa, um, and then the uh, just the intuitions of Antoine and uh, Hallberg as well, just guys contributing up and down the coaching staff and just the way this organization moves. I think it's one of the best that I've been with going from coming from New York um, I think it was just instability of so many GMs so many coaches so many hitting coaches and so many I mean we went through a whole new ownership where there's just so many moving parts and um, relationships you know they would come and go and so at the time it was more so of uh, taking care of yourself and being a professional in that sense but over here it's more of a culture more of a family and uh, trying to push each other every single day instead of figuring out you know uh personalities and trying to find a fit i mean jd this time in the career where you kind of have this arc where you go from all right i'm coming up i'm kind of learning and now you get into a little bit of a veteran status and you mentioned a lot of the young guys how's that been in your role more so leading and sort of setting examples has that been a transition or has that sort of been your role from jump yeah it's a little bit of a transition especially going from new york uh, when i was about two three years uh, younger, uh, you know, I was a guy that was just breaking out of the season, and I had Todd Frazier, Robinson Cano, um, you know, older guys in the pen, you know, J- the great Jacob Degrom. Um, so I've been around some guys, even with the Astros, uh, with that team and that veteran leadership. Um, but just kind of taking a page out of their book and learning from them and how they treated uh, rookies or teammates on and off the field. One of the best, two best uh, teammates that I've ever had is Evan Gaddis and Brian, Brian McCann. Um, and just how they uh, carried themselves professionally um, as teammates and as people on and off the field. Um, and so kind of learning from that in that regard, I try to be you know a guy that's uh, – Try not to give all the answers because I don't know all the answers myself, but at the same time being a role model, being a professional, being a representation of what the Giants want me to be, being a representation of Sacramento, of Elk Grove, um, and just coming out and being a good person on and off the field and competing on, on, on the field too. You guys are right in the thick of things as far as the wild card race goes in the National League. How does this team look at this final month now heading up until – the end of the season yeah uh you know we're excited i mean i think that's a different page of what it was about 48 hours 72 hours ago <laughs> of these last two wins uh you know wins always kind of put the band-aids over over the bleeding cuts but um you know we're excited we're getting guys back we're getting healthy guys uh, a lot of pitching um uh, pitching or arms are tra- starting to turn that corner and getting us uh, quality innings um you know we're getting conforto back here in the next hopefully next couple of days we'll see um you know hanniger's back he just hit a home run the other day and he's getting his swing back we had yaz come back and he got three hits so 
hopefully uh, this buzz kind of keeps us going um, and kind of sets the tone and keeps us uh, or reminds us of how we were in the first half of being the second best team in the in the uh, in the league. So JD, if you kind of finish this sentence for me, uh, when healthy, the Giants at their best. How do you describe this team? Oh. Uh, one word is dangerous. Um, I think that was a huge part or a huge characteristic of us uh, in the first half. Uh, I think you guys can recollect or go back and find out that there has been probably a few no hitters going through the five six <laughs> inning, but that just it didn't affect us. Uh, we were a team that you know we were able to take the punch, but also deliver a punch. And as of lately, we're not really delivering that many punches. We're definitely taking them more than delivering them. But um, from learning from the first half, this team in itself, we are dangerous. And when we are healthy, um, anything is possible. And I think we rolled through that. I mean, uh, we've had so many great series over the course of the first half and even a little bit of the second half. But we've slowed down. But uh, we're excited. We're excited for this last month, and uh, playoff is, is in our reach. J.D., appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no problem, guys. J.D. Davis of the Giants. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Let's uh, two-packer from Corey Ruckert here. First one, he writes, and we need some Nationals versus Strasburg inside info on the Monday pod. Wild ending. I don't really... No would happen there. He was going to retire as a national. They were going to have a press conference for him. I guess that was scheduled for Saturday. Then it was called off. I guess it sounds like it's because there, there's an issue with how his contract is going to get paid out. What's what's going on there? Yeah, what's going on is that the nationals blew it. I mean, he has <laughs> a contract. They could just honor it. I, I don't quite frankly understand why they just didn't take that tact. In other words... Uh, if, in fact, everyone understands he's never going to pitch again, he doesn't necessarily have to retire. All they have to do is say that the end of, uh, you know, Steven Strasburg's playing career is here, and then Mike uh, Rizzo, their ownership, could come out and say, well, you know, he's going to be continue to be placed on a roster every year and then put him on the 60-day, you know, injury list or whatever. There are ways to do this and to honor the player, but it certainly came off, like, because the Nationals hid behind the statement which, which was released – um, you know, well, we never agreed to anything. It's pretty clear they were trying to get some sort of financial relief mm-hmm. out of this by saying, come on in, Stephen. You know, we're going to announce your retirement, which would have meant the end of his career and would have meant the, he would have, you know, had to file retirement papers and then he wouldn't, the rest of the contract wouldn't have been honored. Right. <laughs> He's not so, giving that up. What do they think? Well, I know. And that's the thing is that no one. And, and by the way, he shouldn't. No, like, that of course was not. Contract, and the risks are built in. Everybody knows. Uh, and and so to me, it was like the, the the Nationals trying to like, hey, we'll throw you a cool ceremony. Can you give us 60 million or whatever the number is? 100 million of relief? What a joke. <laughs> it's, it's just a joke. Yeah, I mean, why yeah. not just. You know, honored the guy. He was the World Series MVP in 2019. They won a championship. Let's you know do the victory lap for him, and then forget the the part on whether or not he's retired or not. He's on the roster. You can take him off the roster. You can deal with all that in the winter time. It's just so it was it was a bad look. Another uh, set of baseball owners crying poor too. It seems like well, it's and I also just I also can't stand it. When uh, and this happens more and more, it feels like then you know that uh, they hide behind you know certain segments of the media. I just can't stand that. So annoying. Sell the team, learners. Get it over with. 
Uh, Corey, his second question, the Brewers no hitter has to be the straw that breaks the camel's back in New York. Major changes, including the front office and Boone have to be made, right? Corey, I loved your first question. The <laughs> national Strasburg thing. That's awesome that we dug into that, right? But really one game, you get to judge a manager. Come on. You know, if he was going to lose his job, it was going to be because stuff happened before this. Not just because of one day a team getting no hit. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, you with me on that one or am I wrong? It's a, it's a body of work. I mean, he's saying this is this has to be it. I, I mean, I'm implying that they're, you know, they're going to get no, rid of him because so. of it. Yeah. Then, then you could say, well, what about those uh, the amazing run they had to get back to 500? Right, right. All you right, know? Corey, Buster hates your second question. We'll go to PK. The Royals got to 100 losses before the A's. Discuss. Seems unfathomable, but they did it. It did. You know, the A's were in the conversation for the worst team we've ever seen in our lives. That is now gone. The Kansas City Royals are in that conversation. Last one for today. Elizabeth Hart at eHart tweets, writes in, should Davis Schneider be in conversation for Rookie of the Year or Mustache of the Year? Basically, please talk more about Davis Schneider. Okay, Spencer Strider has the Mustache of the Year, so let's set that aside. Mm -hmm. Davis Schneider is not going to win Rookie. The Gunnar Henderson is the Rookie of the Year. But Mm -hmm. Davis Schneider, what a great player for the Blue Jays. You know, sort of a fringy prospect, gets called up. Talking to Blue Jays people, they say he's just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And I advocated talking to one member of the organization that his number should be where he was drafted, okay, which I believe this is right, 841st overall. So you should have him and Kevin Kiermeyer, another late-round draft, who, by the way, under the current rules, they wouldn't even get drafted. The draft doesn't last as long as it had to for David Schneider uh, when he was selected. He's been uh, – Huge for them, especially with all the other issues that they've had. All right. There you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Thanks for writing in, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, to Boog, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on race is something we need to fight against every single day.